Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through various discussions with interesting people. For today's episode, we discuss the stress that comes with being creative and how we deal with that. I believe this topic is fairly pertinent as we launch into the Zine Quest 3 Madness. This topic also applies to game mastering as we ponder why we engage in such activities. Like any good rambling session, we end on downtime activities for Blades in the Dark. Given the length of our discussion, there is no deep dive portion to this episode. But fear not, dear listener, for I have many deep dives planned. It is time for me to stop talking, and time for us all to get rambling. Hello, Ben. Hi. So let's talk about creativity, and um, it seems like you know the ability to have thoughts and to be able to do things um, is one thing, but sometimes as we go about uh, the actions, we we can do things to ourselves, at least I found for myself, that can be self-sabotaging, and it's kind of difficult, but... Um, I guess for yourself, because you've you've produced um, a fair amount of work, you you write a lot, uh, you you, uh, you have students, you speak. Yes. Um, you know, I think for all intents and purposes, I say, man, if anybody's got it together, it's you. Okay. <laughs> but do you have any? Is do you find in your process difficulties that you have, or things that you do to sabotage? yourself or even things you need to do to get around to make things happen. Oh yeah. Um, and how, um, yeah, I mean, boy, and I, I wish I had cracked the code. Um, but I mean, I have learned some things about my, myself and kind of how things work. I mean, I think it's a little bit different in different areas, but in when it comes to, uh, producing, um, RPG, stuff i i um i i found that my, my imagination just doesn't work very well absent certain very special conditions so like if i'm trying to create and stock a dungeon say just to dungeon master it but but suppose i were trying to write it for publication or something it would be the same um i just can't do it that is, if all I do is uh, kind of have a map and just start to fill it in, it doesn't work for me. Similarly for a hex map, I just can't fill it. I can't stock it. My imagination just comes up dry. Here's what has to be true for me to make progress. I found that I can only do it if I have a very vivid sense of what the vibe theme or concept of the places. So if you just give me a kind of cave map and you tell me, fill it in and make it cool, I just can't do it. But if I look at it and I say, you know, oh, you know, uh, there is a, you know, the theme of this dungeon is, you know, like lunar incursion or something, <laughs> then I can do it like the whole place the whole thing starts to come alive. Oh yes, uh, sparkling stalactites and you know phantasmagoric colors, and um, of course there must be lunar moths that you summon by blowing a horn, and you know I don't know. It just starts to like then I can start to do something with it. And so having learned this about myself and having wasted so much time just sitting staring at a blank page. I have learned to lean in as far as I possibly can to the concept of the place that I'm writing. So it's not like a dungeon. It's not like a generic hex map. It's like a concept. Right. Then the creative juices can flow. And so I kind of, um, the more I go, the more kind of heavily thematized. Um, everything is um so so like for instance just back up a minute yeah so you, you know you you say i know i'm going to have this this dungeon and let's say you already have or this this map of yeah. whatever so you say you know what i'm going to think about this and you're like you know what this is going to be the theme and these are going to be maybe a couple of minor themes 
are you able then to systematically point by point fill it out or is it like a recursion where you just keep going around in circles and slowly filling out the the details no for sure it's a recursion i cannot even once once that's once i have a heavy sense of the aesthetic vibe and the concept of a place then i can start to make progress but even then i can't go room by room i just can't i i have to you know i do some and then i have to it, it has to happen over time um and the way it happens over time, I mean, it, there are a couple of different things, but like one thing is just, you'll get some great idea that fits the theme. You're like, oh, well, there's this other current here too, though, because, you know, I don't know. Um, okay, lunar incursion, uh, let's say, what's a, another theme? Well, there were people who used to worship these things who came in here. And so there's also like all the old stuff they built like the religious stuff um that's up in here too um to the things that are in there you know and then okay oh well that oh well maybe there's a you know maybe there's like a a kind of a um you know may, well maybe there's like a sacrificial altar or maybe there's a you know kind of burial chambers for priests or something and then you're like oh okay well that's cool and maybe you have a vision of what that that looks like and then and then you know you can think about the interrelation between thing a and thing b and then you know and so you yeah you come back to it and back to it and back to it um and i find that when i i do this even in play i do it recursively that is i do a first pass the players come in <laughs> you know they make it a certain way in and then yeah. it gets filled in that way, even in play, even when I just DM, I'm just preparing, prepping for a game. But certainly if I'm like writing something for publication. So yeah, no, I basically the message is you can't force it. Like you can't power through for me, at least. Um, well, because <clears throat> I think I'm, I'm similar, but maybe just a, a tad different in that. Um, but I think the problem is, is is that you need some sort of constraint and then once you have the constraint then you have the freedom in order to be able to create but when it can be anything it's very hard to focus yeah so i wrote um the uh, for zine quest came out with, with um with scoundrels and i've got like an absurd number of of npcs in there and the only way i was able to do it was I created a massive spreadsheet. Uh, I randomized a tremendous number of proper names and then a proper and insane number of adjectives. Yeah. And once I had the name and two or three adjectives, um, I could write a paragraph on a person. It's like, I, but I couldn't think of what to write. But then once the leader shows, you know, careless, prideful, and, uh, and uh, loyal all of a sudden okay you know i can i can fill that i know this is the leader yeah i know these are the attributes and i find that once i have that constraint i can be very creative but but like you sitting at a, a blank piece of paper it's just like it's hard yeah i agree with that i mean for me one of the constraints often is drawing a map i'm not a good artist but I do like to draw maps anyway, even though I'm not good at it. So, and I like drawing my own maps. I do use other people's maps sometimes just because I, I just can't, I just don't, if I'm right, right. I, just, I just sometimes I don't have time. But I like to draw my own maps because of that constraint. Like you draw it to make it interesting kind of visually and, you know, geographically kind of interesting, but then you also don't know what the heck you're looking at. And so then you can be like, well, you know, what's in this triangular room, you know, and how does this relate? Or like, what are these humps I drew on this thing? And it's a kind of constraint, just like you're saying, it's, it's kind of like having a random result almost. And you're like, well, how do I interpret this? Um, and I find that if I don't draw the map, I can't really get that into it. I can a bit with someone else's map, but it's easier for me if somehow I made oh, it. Oh, so you're saying using another person's map 
a lot of times will hinder yeah. your creativity. Yeah, it will. It will. Like, I mean, when I, and when I do stuff for publication, I draw my own map and then I hire an artist to draw a map um, on the basis. I don't ever, I, it's not like with art where with art, I always tell artists, I will rewrite the description on the, I mean, once we have a working relationship, right. I'm like, here's the text and, but I will rewrite the text. I'm more interested in how you imagine this than how I imagine it, visually speaking. And I'll rewrite the text for you to it. And, and generally, um, visual media is the huge inspiration for my like writing of things too. Um, but well, yeah. before, before you, okay, yeah. let's stop, uh, let's, sure. just, let's discuss that. Yeah. So when you say visual media is, so what do you mean by that? Like what specifically, when you say visual media is the inspiration, what, what does that mean? Well, um, like, do you go to yeah. like Pinterest yeah. and search for images? Do you spend afternoons just flipping through books? Yeah. Do you, do you just think about something in a movie? I mean, what does that really mean? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I find that this works best um, at a certain level of generality. I think once you have something specific in mind already, it's hard to find um, things to bounce off of that aren't already in your head. But for sure. So like I've been thinking a lot about um, a kind of my next campaign I want to run is like the psychedelic sci-fi sword and planet thing with this, using this old game Jorun. And so what you know, I've, I've started to do is like assemble all these things that are visual references. And, you know, since it's sort of off in the distance, I'll probably do that for about a year. I, I mean, honestly, um, I've already been doing it for a long time. So like I've thought, you know, and here are some, you know, so, and art books are part of it. Um, in some cases they're expensive. In other cases, they're not so expensive to track down. And sometimes it's just a PDF. Um, or sometimes it's just the images you can call from Pinterest. So finding certain artists and being like, you know what, this world is like, Moebius is gonna, Jean Giraud is gonna be a big visual reference. Right. So now I'm looking at all this stuff, you know, he did, or again, an artist who's kind of in that mold, who's contemporary, who I've just been jawed, I mean, my Killian Ang, um, amazing contemporary artist who's kind of in the influenced by Moebius and um, yeah, so I kind of start building these when I'm thinking in general about like a setting or a campaign, I kind of start, that's one way I sink in is by just gathering these visual references or like when I did the catacombs of the Fleisch Guild where the reference was for better or worse, uh, Egyptian revival so this kind of British romantic, ridiculous kind of um, reimaginings of, uh, um, you, you know, kind of World's Fair level, right? Um, or kind of romantic paintings that bear only a dim relation to the actual material and are have a context of like colonialism and weirdness about them that are connected with that, and and that was. Um, you know, for me, like a reference point, because I was, um, you know, the, and so I was thinking about like, so I was looking, I started gathering all this Egyptian revival stuff, I was looking at um, tons of stuff, the World's Fair, but also all these, you know, it's a whole architectural style. Um, so how yeah. do you then, this is, I think, the hardest part, because this is, like for me, I can visualize certain things and write around it. Like, yeah. you know, maybe I'm running some sort of horror game or even just something weird. I can think, what's the most icky thing I can think of? And I think of something really icky and then I can build it from there. But stuff you're dealing with here is <clears throat> uh, like uh, a design um, aesthetic as far as visual. Yeah. 
to convey like it's easy for me to say you know what i'm going to do things that are fly themed and everything's just going to be gross right. and flies and however i can do transmogrifications or whatever yeah. i mean that's easy to convey but i think to say is you know, like how do i convey the feeling of of a, the blade runner movie yeah. or the feeling of 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 a of uh the airtight uh is it the other garage? Yeah, airtight garage. Yeah, yeah. The airtight garage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I'm like you, I can look at that and like almost like tear yeah. up just looking at some of the stuff. I know. I'm like, how do I make that happen? Are you, how do you then convey um, that sense that you feel to the players? And do you, do you think you do it successfully? Yeah, I do think I do it successfully. I think it's the one thing I'm really good at. It's like kind of that's my one. That's my one thing as a DM. That's like that part. It it works. Um, I uh, well, it's partly it's by theming the heck out of each of the locations. I mean, in a way, so that you know, from the very first moment where people you know step in, so you know and then there are a lot of ways there are a lot of tricks like you know in an old school game one thing you have to play with is treasure so if you're using xp for gp then like treasure is really important but treasure don't ever just be like oh they they find a chest full of gold oh, right shoot me i mean come on yeah, a chest right. full of gold really i mean you had an opportunity right there to convey the, you know, what, whatever the thing you want to convey. So if you want like gross, you know, here's a version of gross. It was like, you know, the party was in this interplanar temple to like a flood, the, the archon, the god of this kind of flesh, you know, butchers, butchers religion. And it was like all this organic gross stuff. And you know there was an altar they looted, and it had these stones. And I had these really great pictures of stones from a wonderful tumbler called Minero et Bijou or something. It was all just incredible pictures of gemstones. And you know I was able to give them the visuals, but it was like, you know, one one gem which looks like, you know, uh, marbled fat with or you know pink pink and flesh like with like white crystalline deposits like little bits of you know marbleized fat or another that looks like you know um a, a veined you know whatever and you just like describe the gemstones on the altar and their treasure but they convey like a whole thing or again like um like jewelry or um you know like you can convey if the can if the idea is like this kind of british romantic you know you d d just the treasure is like a vase let it be a vase right. and like describe the vase you know and they know it's worth a lot and so they like to hear you know you say you know you can convey or like the carpet you know um to be worth a lot of i mean the carpet you know and that you like describe so like there are all kinds of opportunities to tie like um, a, a kind of aesthetic things to things that matter in game. Or again, another thing in the Dreamlands I did, everyone wears a mask. Um, and the, there's part of the, I don't know if this has really been revealed in the kind of zine yet, but part of the story is in a way, they used to wear them only for special like religious occasions. But as the as the society like fell under this curse, in a way, it's like a mark of their shame, and they wear it all the time now, like when they go out. And so, they and so then every time you introduce an NPC, you get to describe the mask they're wearing. Right. Beautiful. You know, it's beautiful, um, and and it gives such a like a character too to like, you know. And then you can just build that in, and then like soon this whole so it, you you know there are ways of putting visual things into games that tie them to NPCs, that tie them to monsters, that tie them to treasure, you know, um, to things players care about anyway. And so you're never just going on and on about something they don't care about. Right. Like you're always like, you want to know what this cat looks like? Let me show you a picture of his mask or let me describe his mask to you. Um, you know, and then so it's like that. I try to tie it into things that matter in game. Well, and I think that definitely takes a fair amount of planning to do so. 
Yeah. And I, yeah. I think I'm more of a hack. No, I don't call it, don't say that. I no, I mean, I, it's true. I don't, um, yeah, this is connected to the fact that I'm not really a low prep. I am when I play with kids, but not when I play with grownups. I, it's more, I have a different, yeah. And, and I respect people who do just low prep stuff. I think. Well, I think the thing is, is you, you're thinking about something for over a year. So it's not like you're just writing all the time, but there is stuff going on in your background, in your, in your brain, as you're thinking before a year before you even run the game, you're actually, you've been thinking this through. Yeah. And with my group, it's about eight weeks. We're like, yep, oh, time for something else. And we'll, we'll shift gears. Yeah, that's just completely. a different, totally different style of playing. And there's, it's just a different style. And yeah, that's what I like. I kind of like this, but I kind of like the thing I do is kind of where I get the pleasure from. Well, I think that's definitely where it shows. If, if you take the time to craft and spend the time to describe and do the time to research, it will come out. And I think probably for me, that's that's probably where... As far as that portion of it, I, I could see where that pays off. Because I used to think, kind of, you know, with the uh, ultraviolet grasslands, it's like it's. I think he does a, a decent job of enforcing the aesthetic in in the setting and also through the rules. I mean, he really does. Uh, Luca does a great job, but he also put a lot of thought into that. Oh, that didn't goodness, happen. Yes. Has an awful lot of, uh, I just, it, his output is just what astounds me. So it's not just like he just writes, but he also does mechanics and he also does the art and he does the layout. It's unreal. And the whole thing he looks has a, like a travel magazine. Intentionally. He also has a life. And he has, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, if you read anything during the Kickstarter, like, things weren't going good for him. He's having troubles at work, dealing with stress. His yeah. father died. Yeah. You know, there's some delays, but I mean, but you know, he, you know, it's easy. It, it's to me astounding because it's easy to look at a book and not really realize until you've tried doing something like how somebody can put something like that out in such a, a professional way in such a, you know, it may have took him a couple of years. I mean, it still is a relatively short time for being I, a largely one-man show. I wish I were more productive. I don't like, you know, I think I used to kind of, yeah, this connects to that in academia too. I, I used to kind of fetishize at this. There was this thing, I'm a philosopher. I do political philosophy. And I used to fetishize this, you know, there was this thing like Wittgenstein said, philosophers should meet each other. When they meet each other, they should say, or maybe when they depart, I don't know, whatever. Their, their greeting should be, go slowly. Um, he was not a big believer in productivity. But, <laughs> and, and I kind of fetishize that, but except now I just think, yeah, of course you should like be careful and be deep and think about things. But, but you know, more is better if you can do it. But, but the thing is, I just can't. And it's true in role-playing games too. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm pretty slow. Um, and that's just what works for me. And I, I, I wish I could be faster, but I, I can't be. And so that is what it is. Um, so, um, so do you have, because I feel uh, that I have a, a muse, which I'll call it a muse. And the muse isn't necessarily very pleasant <laughs> at all. It's generally not a lot of, of like positive reward. It's more of, of, of feelings of, of uh, I'm not sure how to describe those feelings, but I, I feel the pushing on, not necessarily the, I do find things I enjoy and do, but, but there's a lot of, I just feel I have to just do what the muse tells me. Otherwise it's going to make me, make me crazy. Do you feel that way or how, how does that work for you? I mean, it's a little bit different for me. And um, I think I have to distinguish to some extent role-playing game things from other creative endeavors. I mean, here's the distinction I have in mind. Um, for, for me, creating something pretty much always comes with a kind of has to at some point come with a certain amount of 
a kind of a fugue state. I mean, I'm not banging out a whole big thing, but there is, I am serious pleasure and really feeling the kind of pathos of what I'm doing and, and that has to be in the mix. But when I'm working on like philosophy, it never starts that way and it just sucks. And I sit down and there's an empty page and I'm trying to make an argument, I make it and it just sounds so bad at first. And, you know, I'm just not getting to the important things. And, um, and so there's a lot of pain before I get to a place where it's like that. But the thing is with RPG stuff, because for me, and again, I know this is not true for a lot of people, but for me, it's a hobby. And so that gives me the following like kind of leisure. It's not always there in game prep. Sometimes game right. prep is like just suffering often actually, which sucks. <laughs> I mean, that's bad. I wish I could change that, but it, I get stressed out before I run a game and then the prep doesn't necessarily go that well. But for me in writing RPGs, I only do it when I have that real verve feeling. And so that's part of the reason why I like it so much, because for me, it's something I can, I only kind of go to when the feelings are good. And that's been made possible because it's just a hobby for me. So like, I'm never, I kind of never need to make something. And so then it's like, I just do it um, kind of when that is going well. Um, and so there's less yeah, suffering, also, there's less suffering for me. Well, but for me, I mean, it's not like I'm producing great art and it's not even even like a painter. It's like when I used to do, uh, I used to do do a ton of photography. Um, I'm also, um, I haven't done anything for probably like six months, but also um, I do commercial uh, photography freelance. But I'd be driving around, it's like, I would see a scene, like it could be uh, a, a marsh, a wetland with dead trees. And I would think, and it could be up by Chicago. And I would think, I have to take pictures of that. I have to take pictures of that. And until I make a trip up there and even if those pictures turn out terrible it doesn't matter they could they could just be like no that was a dud it would not let me rest until i take the picture right. it's the strangest thing but once i took the picture it's like i'm done it's okay but i don't know what it is and i do did enjoy the photography but yet it's like you know it's kind of like the podcast i mean before i even started yeah. the saturday before i was started doing them thinking I'm at the store i'm like why am I doing this? I mean, the part of that that resonates with me, I mean, I don't feel compelled that way, but the part of it that resonates with me is that it's not under my control when ideas are coming. And so I do feel that like you, you know, it, it like came from outside you is sort of how it felt like you, you saw something, you're like, I've got to film that. And, and, yeah. and then, and that I, I feel that like, you know, um, it's not something I feel like I control. <laughs> I, there are right. certain things that shut it down, but I'm not, I can't turn it on. I can't just turn it on. And that's part of what's hard. I mean, cause you, it would be great if you could just turn it on. It'd be amazing. So, like for instance, so you, so right now you've got a project, yeah. you know, and I guess the, what you're planning on doing uh, we may end up jumping backwards a little bit, yeah. but for the Joe Rune, yeah. are you planning planning on doing any sort of publishing with this type of product that you're doing for your group? Uh, I well, it's hard to say. I mean, if I did, uh, given what my understanding is of, I, I, I it would either be uh, I could do it as a zine. I don't think anyone would give me trouble if I right. circulated some small. Joe Runezine, there have been many in the past. There are some in the present. But that's nothing that's driving you at the moment, that thought. Not, the old Tan's door was something that you you had a vision for. Well, yeah, I mean, I ran a campaign for a long time and then I was thinking um, I should share this. And I kind of, I, I mean, I do kind of produce stuff to share it. I mean, for me, that's a fun synergy. There's a fun synergy of, I prep something for a game, we play the game. It's maybe not everything that I would have liked it to be. It's definitely not. Then I go back and I'm like, with distance, I'm like, well, how can I make this really cool? 
then I do that, then maybe I can run it again for somebody else or something as a playtesting thing. But it's, it, I do kind of like to, cause it's not, it's you kind of, I mean, I'm already like when I prep stuff because it's all electronic, it's already not just ephemera mainly. It like is already exists as a kind of document. And then I do kind of think about kind of giving it a shareable form with people usually. So that is kind of in the back of my mind, but I'm not like driven by that. I mean, I'm more- But there's a difference between saying, yeah. I'm gonna do a, a, I'm just gonna share this thing. I'm gonna pretty it up. Yeah. I'm gonna do a little wordsmithing. There's a difference between that and then putting it out as a zine as saying, I'm going to put this at a professional product. That's sure. a different level. So what drives you to that point? Is there a, any sort of compulsion or is it just like, uh, it'd just be kind of fun to do? Okay, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I didn't, it's not just that it would be fun to do. I mean, I think that there is a bit, it's more ambitious, it's a more ambitious undertaking. And so you kind of tie yourself to a mast when you do it to a certain extent. I mean, you're like, I'm going right. to do it. I'm going to print more things. It's a lot of work. Um, stress. You are saying you are inviting yeah. a tremendous amount of stress. There's a certain amount so, of stress. Yeah. I, not much reward. I've tried to dial back the stress, but it's hard to make it all go away. I think it's impossible, basically. So it, yeah, you're right. It's a bigger undertaking. And so... Um, there's, so like yeah. GMing is stressful, right? Sometimes you say it's hard, right? Mm -hmm. Why do we run to that thing that is stressful to us? I mean, at its best, it's so rewarding. Um, I don't know. You know, I have a hard time with this because I just really wish I could make the stress go away. I, it's the thing in a way in my life, most of all, that I wish I could just flick a switch and turn it off because I don't think it does anything good for me. I think it just does bad things. And, and if I could just make it go away and just be happy, go lucky with it, my life would just be so much happier. It's the same with preparing to teach. I, I find it very stressful. Um, teaching is immensely rewarding. Like I think DMing can be when it goes well. Um, uh, but I just find it right, so stressful right. and there's kind of no reason. It's like, what's the worst that could happen? just doesn't go that well, you feel embarrassed, but somehow I just can't turn off the stress for it. Well, and that's what's funny because you, you, the group that you generally run games for is the same group that you've been running games for for a while, right? Yeah, it's settled down to that for sure for a long time now. I mean, I actually have two groups that, but yeah, they, they basically are more or less settled down. So when I would run games, for my group and uh, some of the games were more dependent. Uh, we ran a, a blades in the dark hack that I did. And so there's supposedly low, low prep. It's it, but anyway, I would get myself kind of worked up because I wouldn't necessarily have a lot prepared. And, and the, the, compu the compulsion I feel is to apologize before the game starts, which I forbid myself from ever saying anything forbid and then we run the game and sometimes it's maybe one of the best games we've ever ran because the group we all we're all right. good friends we all like each other and they're good people and we have a good time and i'm like i cannot tell them this but every time i before i go for this game i just feel awful and but yeah it turns out fine and you're right what is the worst thing that could happen we're all friends you know it's there's no nothing to lose, but yet here I am wanting to GM a game. And then when I'm not GMing the game, I'm ready to wait for the time that I can go through the stress again. I know I, I, um, yeah, I, I, I really, it's the one part, part of it that I, it's the one part of the hobby that I don't like. And that is, that's feeling a stress. And I, you know, there are times when I don't feel it but usually those are times when I'm very well prepared and the and the, often I find I don't feel it when um, 
I don't know. Yeah. When there's something, I actually, it's weirdly, it's often I don't feel it when I'm playing with a large group of people, including not just the regular people. That is when there's a kind of boisterous feeling. Right. And you feel like you're at a party. That, right. Sometimes that really helps me. Sometimes I'm like, oh, this is so fun. Look at us all here. You know, um, but, but so, yeah. So do, does, does this, so for me, the stress generally ends once I start the game. Does it end for you at that point? Like, or it minimizes greatly. There might be points where I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to flip this, but it's right up to the point where maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes in the game and things release. Does that, does that happen for you when you're stressed or does that not happen? Mainly it happens. I mean, sometimes if something's not going well, I think it can persist into the game, but mainly that's right. Mainly it stops um, when the game starts pretty much. Um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. It, so I think it's a takeoff. So, yeah, cause I've never podcasted before. Yeah. And um, the first time that we did the, um, the interview, I have a hard time starting the podcast, whatever it may be. I, I almost start having, I don't wanna say a panic attack, but even when we did that one time, I started having problems. Even the, the second one that we did that yeah. on that night, I'm like, this is just crazy. Once I'm talking, we're fine. But whatever reason, you know, that start is hard. And I don't know if it seems like that's the same thing with games. A lot of times it's the, it's the, once you get going, you're fine, but it's up to that point. It's just anxiety driven. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I, I agree. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. I find it very, very strange. I just wish, I just wish it wasn't so. I mean, and, then, uh, and afterwards you're like, well, that went fine. That's like, yeah, or even that went great. Yeah, that went great. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. The game I was most anxious about ended up being the best game we played all year. It's like, this is nuts. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. And I think, the thing is, I mean, you know, we're not alone in that. I mean, no. it's it's definitely. Yeah, people have it more or less, but mo most people have, I think a lot of people have it. I mean, because it's a performance thing. It's public <laughs> and it's performance, you know? I mean, that's the thing. It's like yeah. you're on the spot you and you bear a lot of weight in most, I mean, certainly in Blades in the Dark, but and also in old school games where there's a, I mean, Blades has some bleed in the, narrative control between players and what i forget what they're called what the dm is called um but 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 there's a huge weight improvisational weight that's borne by the um person running that system and it's and in old school games there's obviously just a tremendous asymmetry between player and dungeon master and i just think you're performing much less because you're, you're not responsible for as much of a piece of it, basically. If you're yeah, player. and I think you're. I think I didn't. I've never thought about that way. I mean, so what happens is when you go to the more narrative forms, was called more narrative forms yeah. of mechanics. There's less weight for rules on my part, but there is more weight on making rulings in dealing with situations because it's not handled. So that's, I guess I'd never realized that's the trade-off. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's always a, yeah, there's always a trade-off. I mean, right. Um, yeah. Because I don't feel the same stress when I play. I don't. I just don't feel it at all. No, none. Zero. I am, I have a lot of fun playing. Uh, I yeah. agree. I don't. There's. You're right. There's nothing. There's no weight on me at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the other thing is I might also be tied with it. I think as a GM, we're. I, I also feel very responsible for people that have you know, driven, given up their time. I mean, I think Zoom, you still feel it whether you're doing Zoom calls or not, but I mean, I had one guy that would drive from uh, 45 minutes away and I'm like, you know, I gotta make it work this guy's wild. I mean, yeah. 
be irresponsible this guy's time you know but yeah uh, or if somebody's yeah, not engaging at the table and there's some dynamic there and you don't know what it is you know yeah. i mean that's why like the description of the dungeon master as a host that some systems have used or i've seen it both as the term i forget what system calls the person the host but but anyway, or something, or I maybe it's in one of these old school primers. Maybe Ben Milton says, "I like to think of the dungeon master as the host or something." But it's like uh, yeah. in one of those primers somewhere I read that. But it, it's like the I do feel there's something like that. Like you have a responsibility to be hospitable to people, to kind of make sure that right. like things are going well for people. Well, and... you saying that makes me think of I think it, I don't know if it was Churchill or somebody. But the idea is that when you would go to this person's table for dinner in their home, right. their job was to facilitate conversation. Right. So you're right. I think you're right because there is that because you are there to facilitate um, that conversation from the people to the narrative and back and forth. Right. And if it's not working, then you have to fix it somehow. And like and that's stressful teaching is like that but with times 10 i mean you know if right if things aren't working like you got you have to fix it and and why they're not working may be really hard to tell why they're not working i mean you can talk frankly with people except that sometimes when you're teaching you shouldn't talk frankly with people um about like the dynamics of what's going on sometimes it's better to approach a person one-on-one -on -one rather than bring it up to the whole group you know there are all kinds of things um that that you have to think of and it's like a little bit like that it's not as heavy i think as teaching um but it's, it's well right like because that. you have also the response i mean you have more people but you also I mean, these people spent a lot of money right in your class there's that there's a tiny bit even with grown-ups not like young grown-ups there's a tiny bit of a like in loco parentis afterglow that i think is not totally bs that's there um that's not at all there <laughs> i'm playing only with people who are roughly my age unless i'm dming for kids and then because right. my own kids are involved it's more like parenting just regular or something but um anyway yeah yeah i think uh definitely um yeah it's it, it is strange i mean as far as i think i think any time a person wants to do something by do something. I mean, something besides just say consume. And I don't want to necessarily put consume as being a, a derogatory thing, but it, it seems to almost many things that are I'll call worthwhile that we feel is worthwhile. It, it comes at a cost. Yeah. I mean, that is the thing you asked why, you know, it's a cost that's worth bearing. Um, because what you can get from it is so good. I mean, I don't know anything else that's like it. I mean, being a dungeon mastering a game, I mean, there's nothing. Yeah. I, it's so, it's such a wild experience and the things that come out of it when it works are so great. I mean, they mean so much to me, you know, that it's worth doing. Um, even though it might not always feel as easy as I wish it did as, or as it should, if only I could get my head screwed on straight or something yeah. you know it is really i think one of the very few um <clears throat> group social things that I, I don't know there's anything else like it mm -hmm. that people are cooperatively doing something like this that's right and doing something that is so <laughs> like sharing imaginative worlds together and just doing it openly and like collaborating and like thinking creatively together and making a thing together and all all that stuff i mean you know like as much as geek stuff has become mainstream and um but, but these aren't normal activities that life doesn't normally present a lot of opportunities to do like this kind of cre creative collaborative stuff with people you know, 
in this kind of a way there's not like what are the other venues i don't know what they right are. i think there's a certain amount of opening up but not necessarily like emotionally necessarily right. maybe if you want to go there but but most mostly not yeah because yeah, i mean so you know um you know when i grew up i mean it was pretty homogenous yeah um i came back to gaming it's still pretty homogenous um then i ran game uh with i i started running games we moved um so i had problems getting adult group together so i started running for some teens and um and so before it was pretty much all male now it's probably three quarters female um and some other people started adding to our group and some people going but when i look at our group um i realized just how um I'll say democratic as far as yeah. the diversity of people who we really, most of us don't really do anything afterwards. There's no connected things, but, but we like each other. Yeah. We come from completely different spheres, yeah. but yet we can join together as friends and spend time together and laugh. And it's like, you know, it's like before, you know, being in, uh, a role player was something I still kind of deal with, but it was a very kind of, I won't say shameful thing, but it was a very, sure. it was stigma. It was stigmatized. People. Yeah. Yeah. I still kind of deal with that yeah. even today, less so, but now it's like, you know, this is probably one of the most important social activities to have come around yeah. in hundreds of years. If you think about what it can do. Yeah. I think it's wild. I mean, I do. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm sure in my own mind, I overstate it's important significance in some way but i mean i i you know in my unguarded likely unjustifiable inner thoughts i kind of think it's like the best game that anyone ever came up with and that that's like a yeah. huge and i don't mean some particular game i don't mean dungeons and dragons right. i mean tabletop role-playing games um that and i think it's like a huge leap given that human beings play games have always played games and that's like a yeah. big part of every thing culture I, I just think it's a huge it's like a huge leap forward i mean it it's a weird thing to say but it's like it's you know it's it's kind of like the printing press of games or something it's like it was a big deal figuring out the printing press and i think like this the kind of technology of play this kind of game this family of games like you know it had I, obviously a lot of preconditions for it to emerge because somehow it didn't quite ever get together in the past and appear. But um, but so it's you know like contextualized. But it it's like I feel like it's like a huge. Um, I think it's a huge deal. I, I think it like kind of yeah. it's like it's like a real discovery. Um, like you can do this right, so, and yeah, yeah. So I do not do, I do not engage in a lot of different social things. I mean, yeah. I'm, I think as I've gotten older, I'm maybe a little more introverted. Um, not that I'm severe introvert or anything, but, but I found that if you, I can go to a convention, fall into a table in five minutes, everybody's fine yeah. because I think all the social dynamics are already predefined. We already know what we're there to talk, do. We kind of know the parameters of how we're supposed to act. And we all know we're there for that one thing. Yeah. And I think unlike any other, yeah. most other social activities, how can you actually engage with strangers in a very short amount of time in a meaningful way? It's yeah. just astounding. I agree, I agree. And I used to have a lot of fun doing pickup kind of games on Google Plus, because there was a huge culture of people playing together online. And, um, and I still do that some, I recruit people blind. Um, I still do that, even for my games that I run with stable players. Um, you know, and I've been lucky. And maybe not everyone will want to do that. And I get that. But it has been really fun for me because it's like you, you know nothing about the person and it's super cool when you can just do this thing with them. And there's a lot of selection because the people I'm talking to and recruiting from are groups of people who play the same kinds of games I play in roughly the same kinds of way. So there's a lot of assumed 
background where we share, I think, even if I don't know the person at all. But I have found that to be a lot of fun. And I haven't really gone to cons. I was going to go to Gary Con, but then uh, COVID oh, happened. My goodness. That was going to be my first con. I went to one other con. I had a terrible experience when I was a kid. What con did you go to? Way back when I went to a con called DexCon, which was like in New Jersey, right? I think outside of New York. Um, and I had this thing where I was like 19 years old and I played with some DM and he was cool. He was an interesting DM. He'd been, he'd been playing forever. And he was like, oh, you should play with me in New York. And I was like, oh, okay. And so we like exchanged phone numbers, but then like we left and I was like, uh, I don't want to do that. This is just like some older guy. No. I, I don't know about this. And then he got all bent out of shape about it. You know, like I ghosted on him. You know, I didn't return his calls or whatever. Yeah, what a I, horrible person he probably was. And you just... I dodged a bullet dodged by not bullet. doing it. But then, you know, like <laughs> my friends went the next year to the same... I didn't go back. And they went and he was like, you know, your friend ghosted me. <laughs> I was like, totally. And so that was like my one con experience was like inappropriately interested you know, like I, you know, I just felt like it was weird. Um, and I, I guess I was right. My instinct was right. Um, yeah. I would recommend uh, once things open up again, one is um, I've not been to Gary Con, but I, I go to Game Hole Con. Oh, people say that's really fun. And I just basically play old games that, yeah. that I haven't gotten to play or haven't played for a long time. And I, I just try out all sorts of old games and I've, yeah. Had some crazy fun experiences there. The other one I recommend is uh, the Forge Midwest. Ooh. It's very small, bunch of indie people, completely different group of, of you know, you know, like, you know, you know the. It, it's just more. Um, I don't want. I don't want to describe it. They're more indie yeah. I, style. I don't know how to put it, but basically the way they work it is they it's pretty cheap to 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 go and then gms will line up on the wall they'll pitch their games and then you there might only be like maybe like 100 people at the con or 150 and you just go to the gm you want to play the game and you go over to the table and you play and then you know two or three hours later they'll line up the gms and they'll pitch a game and you I love and it you'll, yeah and it's very low-key they're just very yeah very i like indie games a lot and i do read them um I got interested in them and I would love to play some. I've never, I haven't. I mean, I, that is once I played scum and villainy once, which is a, uh, what is that? A forged in the dark game. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, but you know, I haven't, uh, but I've listened to a lot of actual plays of dungeon world and, uh, you know, I've read a bunch. I've read the landmark ones, you, you know, the landmark games that people... The problem I have with Dungeon yeah. World is, kind of what we talked about before, is there's a point where, because what happens is that if the, if the move fails, you, uh, or if the, if, the, um, if the player fails a roll, the GM moves against the player. Yes. So you can have soft moves and you have hard moves. Right. But it's all discretionary. And at the point, after a while, that can be kind of stressful. Like, yeah you know it, it kind of gives you the freedom but also ties but yeah dungeon world is definitely a, a fun game yeah yeah and um anyway i i would have i mean i would i would enjoy that um for sure well when i say indie games i'm talking like you know a dude just saying i come up with this game yeah I'm pitching this sure it, it just a dude yeah and then you just go and yeah. no i know and i know that and i know that the indie games also people create tons all these games i mean yeah. one thing about like the old school people is they don't create very many games there are a few but you know but basically they're not in that business that's not kind of how they approach the creative aspect is not mainly making new games because that's kind of sorry the idea is in a way yeah. was not to do that but rather to kind of not 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 to do that but 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 there are certain kind of play principles and play culture and then they kind of just use kind of common you know the kind of esperanto of old games to 
to kind of na navigate the thing. That's a deep cut there, Ben. That's a deep cut. Yeah, I don't know. There or there's like a, a kind of uh, right or what I really I didn't want to spread on. What I wanted was lingua franca. What I wanted was the Latin <laughs> Latin of okay. the medieval world. They they just okay. use the kind of base code of the you know old school games, which is fairly translatable into everything else. And there's a kind of language that people people all have, and they just kind of put their creativity in a way to the different worlds and adventures and kind of spins that get put on that. But I know, you know, like indie games are all about like building these tailored games for different experiences. And so there's like a yes. bazillion of them because it's like every time you're going to do a new set, you know, you don't just do a setting. It's always like a game that's bespoke and built for the setting and you you know right do all these things and that's why i'm kind of more interested to be honest in a way in forged in the dark and powered by the apocalypse games because i for me it's a little bit easier because i'm not that into that and so i like it better if there's a source code so so that i don't you know so i don't have to go down for every new thing there'll be some bespoke game i would rather just have a kind of oh i kind of know how this works and so let me see yeah the problem i face it what well, part of my personality is i don't i'm not i'm not a person that creates mechanics but i'm a person that says you know what i, I, I just take this mechanic and put it over here or just take this setting in this game instead just use another system and convert it and what you find with some of these systems um if you start looking at blades in the dark it's really not that much different than um than using the reaction table for bx right 2d6 yeah powered by the apocalypse but forged in the dark yeah. too because they that just turns it into a 1d6 well, yeah but i mean if you do 2d6 yeah. you can you you've got the you know the the succeed yeah succeed at a cost or a move against yeah and a lot of those mechanics you start looking at them it's like there's not they're very easy to start blending together i know i mean i've started doing that i've started using the reaction role for all kinds of things inspired by powered by the apocalypse in my osr games because it's like something i mean i think there's something there's a reason why it's not nothing that dnd mainly has just success fail but I think it doesn't only have that because it had the reaction role and there right. are and there are times where it's fun to put that into the mix. Um, so even though I but, don't but think D&D is built around it, I think there's no reason why it can't come in in all kinds of ways. Um, and you, you but see, you can use that mechanic in BX just as easy. Yeah where somebody wants to do a heist or we want to break into a tower. I don't have the tower. Yeah. I don't want to have the tower written out. What do you want to do? I want to go sneak into this tower, get to the, unlock this door, get, roll 2d6 yeah. and see what, what comes up. And if you fully succeed, you actually get to the point, get yeah. what you need to. But if it's less than that, we'll stop the action at a certain point yeah. where it makes sense. And yeah. you don't have to, to construct a tower and go through the whole nonsense of, you just say, okay, you've, you failed, you failed hard. You get a quarter of the way through and you're surrounded by guards. Here's, right. da, 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 let's go. Yeah, or right. Or if you wanted to like rob a place in, in between games, you know, just roll 2d6 and we'll, I'll tell you how it's going to work. You know, I mean, see, that's the, the downtime activities yeah. is another thing with Blades in the Dark that I think is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I found it very interesting. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, it was an inspiration, not, so much mechanically, but how built into the game it was. For me, when I started thinking about downtime, I, Blades in the Dark was very interesting because it's like, oh, this is just a huge part of the game. Well, the thing is, what the only way for this to work is you have to, it's gotta be all done in basically one session for this to really work. So the whole game is all completed, downtime, everything in one session. It doesn't really make much sense Right. to do a campaign you know every three day every three game sessions into a downtime but when that's just that's the rhythm is all your all your missions are one one session yeah. and it ends with that it's it's a very powerful thing because it allows you choices but your choices are limited yeah and the thought is you know one of the things we take for granted for D D is healing right but what if yeah. healing is one of your choices 
No, I, I, I love that. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, that's that's where I'm looking forward to things folding back in. And I think in the next 10 years, I think there's going to be. Yeah, I think it's already happening some in some some places, or at least I, I agree with you because I'm I'm on that train. Um, basically, that's how I'm thinking about. Well, I think we're hitting the yeah. uh, time space continuum. I agree. <laughs> well, I think we'll we'll call it a night. So. All right. Anyway, you take care, man. Fun talking as always. <laughs> have a have a good night. Last week, Brett Slocum called the show using the Anchor app. He called regarding the interview with Mark Hunt and how Mark Hunt had acquired the intellectual property for Gangbusters after TSR had let it go defunct. He also brought up the subject of TSR and their handling of art for many of the artists that work for them. He also mentioned Jeff D who crowdfunded his recreation of some of his most iconic D&D art from the 70s and 80s. That got me thinking that it may be fun to have Jeff D. on to discuss his experiences and perspectives, and I plan to reach out to him in the future. I did start a Facebook page, but I've done a fairly poor job promoting it. I need to put my hesitation aside and become more direct in trying to grow the community. So if you start seeing invites coming your way, you have at least been warned. One feedback I would love to have is regarding the show's length. Most episodes have two interviewees and last between one and a quarter and one and a half hours. Is that too long? Should I keep it at an hour or less, or does the format hit the sweet spot for length? Also, please take a moment to leave a rating or a review. Taking time out now to scroll down on your phone, device, or computer helps immensely. Also, feel free to be like Brett and leave a call on Anchor or contact me via Facebook or even Twitter where I am at I underscore am underscore Jeffrey. Until next week, Ramblers. Hello. Hey, Ben. Hi. Uh, I know it's kind of awkward calling you at this time, but um, I kind of got something that's bothering me. What's up, Jeff? Well, I know this is going to sound um, a little far-fetched, but I, I want you to hear it all the way through, okay, and see what your thoughts are. Okay. So um, are you familiar with Pantone? Yeah. Okay. So the colors for this year are gray and yellow, right? Yeah, are they? I don't know. Yeah, so this year Pantone declared that gray and yellow are the colors, <laughs> which is quite interesting, okay? Um, Phil Reed, who would be, uh, he can't because he's still alive, but I'd say the patron saint of, 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 our, of our zine group, um, Workborg, he's doing stuff it with a lot of yellow in it have you noticed that it sure is it's like a yellow explosion i was doing tables the other day and i started putting yellow in this i thought hmm this is interesting um do you remember paisley's you mean like the design yeah yeah sure so they just kind of float in and out right yeah okay are you familiar with the charge of the light brigade yeah, I think so. Wait, remind me. Yeah, the, yeah, so it's in the Crimean War, however you pronounce it. But anyway, somebody blew the horn to charge, right? Yeah. Okay. And they charged. But it was a charge that was not well-timed because they were getting slaughtered. And so they turned around and a good portion of them were decimated. And the poem was really a tribute to their bravery for just like charging into, you know, the jaws of death and the jaws of hell and, 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 and just the willingness to just be willing to do that regardless of the consequences. So here's where I'm concerned about. I'm concerned because I'm kind of digging the yellow uh, aesthetic. I think everybody's digging the yellow aesthetic. But what happens if Phil is like in the charge of the light brigade leading us down a path 
that years from now we'll say, what were we thinking? Will this be the Paisley of the future? Will this be the thing that we think is so cool now in generations we'll have to explain ourselves to others? Right, like the red accent wall of uh, RPG design. Yeah, are we going down this? Are we going down something that will be seen forever as being a bold move or something that will be seen as a foolish move? These are the risks you have to bear willingly if you, if you, <laughs> you, you want to do something interesting. So, are you saying that we should drive hard and blindly into this and say, with wild abandon, this is what it is and be what it may? Or should we take the more conservative approach and say, hmm, maybe not? Full yellow or bust. Full yellow <laughs> or bust. You know, I like that. You know, I was worried, but I think you're right. The idea of taking the courage and blindly leaping in, taking that existential leap. And Phil has not read us, had led us wrong yet, has he? Not so far. No, so I... I think we can follow his lead. I think we can go full yellow, enjoy the full crazy aesthetic and um, and not worry about it. And you know what? The future generations uh, criticize, we'll just say, you know what? You weren't there. You weren't there. Even if it seems tacky in 10 years and 20 years, people will love it. That's even better. <laughs> You're right. It will come back. So we will know that people will continue to recognize the genius of the yellow even if even if the next generation hates it that's right okay so are you going to both are you going to uh, grab a hold of this embrace this yellow design or are you going to do it moderately (laughs) uh uh if and when i work with colors i will (laughs) okay oh so you're safe (laughs) so far i'm safe i live only in a world of black and white exquisite black and white that's uh that's that's my my world right now okay so you're not doing this to egg me on to my own destruction well (laughs) it's always easier to say be bold when you don't 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 have to to worry about it yourself but well i think i'll just trust you that you are really looking out for my best interest and the best interest of society in general and that you wouldn't pull my leg on this. And um, I think I'm gonna embrace the bold for right now and uh, just go yellow. Do it. Okay, thank you very much, Ben. Talk to you later. Bye.